going to be picking up kind of where we've left off the last few weeks going through the gospel of Luke. Um, we're getting to the portion where Jesus is beginning his ministry in the gospel of Luke. And we've seen where Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. Um, the, the heaven opened up and God spoke, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. And we see Jesus immediately after being baptized go into the wilderness for 40 days in, in a preparation for what is to come. Um, I think it's significant for us to note that Jesus goes into the wilderness um, not to be away from people, but to draw close to God. He, he's in the wilderness not to be away from people who are getting on his nerves. No, he's in the wilderness fasting and praying to get closer to God. That is his desire, is to be completely, completely submitted to the will of his Father. Amen? And when he's in the wilderness, what do we see that happens while Jesus is in the wilderness, drawing closer to God, doing everything he can to make sure he fulfills the will of his Father? He gets tempted by Satan. So today we're going to talk about temptation. Somebody turn to your neighbor and tell him temptation. Temptation. That's what we're going to talk about today. Why? Because what happens to us as believers? We face temptation. Amen? Oh, y'all are quiet this morning. Has anybody been tempted before? Man, there's an old song that these guys at the church, they had a little rap group and they did this song called Temptation. Well, who's laughing at me? I wasn't in it. Don't laugh at me. But they had this one song that was called Temptation. Man, I thought it, I, look, look, my generation, all right, Gen Z and uh, Gen Alpha now. All y'all don't make fun of us, but man, that, that stuff, that stuff was good. It was, yeah, it was on point. They used to say, I'm not going to sing. Somebody's saying sing it. No, but the lyrics were Temptation. Have you ever been tempted before? Trying to walk the straight and narrow, but Satan's waiting at your door. Temptation. How would you handle yourself if he offered you a life of power and wealth? Temptation, would you fall victim to the hate and lies of Satan, even though you know the truth? Temptation, put another notch in my belt. As long as Christ is in my life, the winning cause has been dealt. And then he goes off, feel carried away by my own sinful desire, but instead of being led astray, I'll endure through the fire. Uh, anyway, anyway. <clears throat> Copyright, all, all lyrics belong to the DOC. Of, uh, <laughs> copyright and friend. I'm going to get a letter from Oscar, uh, Aaron, and uh, Daniel on that one. No, the temptation is something that we all face, right? If there's anything that Satan wants to do, it's to derail you from walking into God's will, to doing things according to God's will. And so what does he do? He tries to tempt us tries to pull us away from God's will, tries to get us away from doing what God has called us to do, from living the life that God has called us to live, from being um, a, a, a devout believer of Jesus. He tries to pull you away from that. And the way that he does that many times is through temptations. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 4. <clears throat> Sorry, I don't like clearing my throat like that, but yesterday we had baseball. I had two games, and I was yelling a little bit, so sorry, my voice is a little off. But Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. I know Irving already touched on some of this, and I'll, I'll recap a little bit of what Irving talked about last week. 
But Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, what I'm going to do is we're going to read the entire passage, and then we'll go back and talk through it, all right? So Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. There's a few things I want you to note here. Jesus, verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, highlight that right there. If you've got a, or a way to underline it or something, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, that's important, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit. Highlight that part too, led by the Spirit. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, and he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Verse 5, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus responded to the devil by saying, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Verse 9. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Oh, devil's getting crafty, quoting scripture to Jesus. Then Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Temptation. Irving preached last week, and he set the table for the temptations that Jesus encountered. You know, I, I really like the way that Irving set it up whenever he was talking about Jesus being the second Adam. He's here. All right. He made it. Jesus is the second Adam. Just like Adam was a sinless man and was tempted but failed in the garden, we see Jesus being a sinless man, being tempted. And praise God, he did not fall victim to the lies of the enemy. And it's not because Jesus was susceptible to it, but he had to reestablish what Adam had, had messed up. He had to bring things back to life. That's why when we experience resurrection, there's so much that comes along with that. Jesus being the second Adam, he brings things back to life. Amen? What Adam was unable to fulfill, Jesus fulfilled. Amen? Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit, and he was led by the Holy Spirit. And Irving also reinforced a couple of very important things that we should be aware of as well. Let me reinforce these things. Um, there is a relevance to Christ in our life. Um, 
let, let me just kind of say this. There's some people that believe that Christianity is irrelevant for today's time uh, because it was something that was done thousands of years ago. The book was written thousands of years ago. Uh, it's not relevant to today's time. How can Jesus be relevant to me today? Well, Hebrews chapter 4 tells us something very good. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Christ is still relevant today because he was tempted in every way just like we are today. And you can say, well, Jonathan, how is this possible? He wasn't faced with the same things I'm faced with. Technology wasn't even around in Jesus' time. The things that I have access to, Jesus didn't have access to. The, the, the things that are available to us today were not available to the people of biblical times. How can Jesus be tempted in every way like us when he hasn't experienced life the way we know it today? Well, I'm glad you ask. I'm glad you ask. Let's go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. That's the one John. Not the gospel of John, but the one that has the one before it. 1 John, 1 John chapter 2. I get confused. I say it because I get confused by it, all right? It, there's, th there's four Johns in the Bible. There's the book of John, then there's 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. It's kind of confusing sometimes. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. When you get there, say Amen. You're there, all right. Oh, you already put it up? Dang it, I'm sorry, Sam. I didn't, know, I didn't prepare you. I didn't let you know. It's okay. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Amen? How was Jesus able to empathize with us? How was he tempted in every way? Well, let me tell you, Jesus was tempted in three ways. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And if you think about every way the enemy tries to tempt us today, they fall under those three categories. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. How was Jesus tempted by Satan? He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. And what did the devil offer him? To turn the stone into bread, the lust of the flesh. He's facing the lust of the flesh. So how do we have one that can empathize with us? He knows what it's like to struggle, or he knows what it's like to be tempted with the lust of the flesh. I like the way that Irving mentioned last week that the enemy tries to tempt us with what we need as if to say that God is not a sufficient provider. Jesus was absolutely tempted with the lust of the flesh, but he knew that God was his provider. Amen? Satan is tempting Jesus and trying to get him to a place where he will distrust the Father's care for him. He really starts off by questioning his sonship. If you really are the son of God, 
He goes after his identity. If you really are the son of God, wouldn't your father care that you're hungry? Wouldn't he provide food for you? Look, if you really are the son of God, then just turn this stone into bread. Gratify the desire of your flesh outside the will of God. Surely God wants you to feed your health, your health, yourself. It's what the enemy is trying to tell Jesus. Surely God would want you to feed yourself. Satan trying to challenge the loyalty that God has towards us. The wonderful thing here is that Jesus did not give in. Jesus didn't try to rationalize the temptation and go out of God's will. No, he remained faithful. Even though he was hungry and had the ability to feed himself, he knew that this time in the wilderness was part of the beginning of his ministry and being as close to his father as possible entering this ministry was far greater than the desire of his flesh. In our life, the temptation may present itself differently but it is still the same scheme that the enemy uses through the lusts of our flesh. The enemy will try to convince us, why are you waiting on God's timing? Are you really even a child of God? Why hasn't he given this to you yet? You've already been in the wilderness for a long time. You're hungry. Your body's hungry. Why wait on God's provision when you can have it now? Man, that is our generation completely. They call, they, they call some of us that grew up with microwaves in the house the microwave generation. How, okay, I don't want to embarrass anybody or something like that, but without raising your hand, kind of just giving me a nod, how many of you grew up without a microwave in your house for a certain period in life? It's different than the people who grew up with a microwave in your house. Why? Because it did not take significantly longer to cook food right? We get called the microwave generation because we're used to putting something in a microwave and within two to five minutes, however long you have to warm it up, it's cooked. It's ready for you to eat versus a meal that takes at least half an hour to prepare, right? And we get things a lot faster. And, and then some people knew what it was like to grow up without fast food restaurants on every corner. Some of us knew what Alvin was like before Chick-fil-A came. And the amazing drive-through that they have. And you know you're going to get your food fast. Some of us have endured the Whataburger line. <laughs> that was our fast food. No. Or what it was like to go to a restaurant and have to wait an hour before you even got to your table. And then it took another 30 minutes before you got your food. And if you got a big Mexican family, there's 10 people there. It's going to take 45 minutes to an hour to get your food. Two hours before you show up at 6 to eat at 8. Now, some of us want provision now. And some of us... Um, step outside the will of God because we want it now. No, I want it now. I need to gratify this desire now. And some of us try to justify it with God by saying, well, doesn't God want me to have the desires of my heart? We, we use an incomplete verse there, right? Because that verse says, um, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And there's, there's taking delight in the Lord means sometimes you're okay with the waiting, 
Delighting yourself in the Lord means you trust God through this period. You trust God in his provision for you. You trust God in what he's going to do in your life. Not, not God, I want it now. Give me what I want now. Some of us act like four-year-olds in a store with God. When, whenever I was a little kid, I, I don't, I'm not proud of this, but I used to go to Walmart, and in Walmart, they had Hot Wheels cars. And Hot Wheels cars, when I was a kid, were 77 cents. And I knew that 77 cents was not a lot of money. And so we'd go into the store, and my mom would be you know, in a hurry. We need to get in. We need to get out. And, and look, this is before today's times. We were allowed as children to just run off to the toy section while mom shopped, okay? It was not abuse. It was not neglect. It was just the way things were, okay? It was normal. And so I ran off to the toy section, and I would go grab a, even, I, even, I don't, even though, I, I can't even talk. Even though I knew my mom was in a hurry, I would just dart off to the toy section. I'd go grab one 77-cent Hot Wheels car, and I'd run back to my mom and start begging, Mom, can I please have a car? Mom, can I please have a car? And she'd be like, no, mijo, not right now. We're not going to do that right now. And she'd put it aside, and I would throw a fit. It's just 77 cents. It's not a lot of money. Making this big old scene, you know, you know, when you make a scene in the store and your mom's like, stop it, you're embarrassing me. You're going to get it when you get home. I wanted it now. Some of us get like that with God at times. God, I want to gratify this desire. I want to satisfy the lusts of the flesh outside of your will. You don't have to wait on God is what the enemy tempts us with. You don't have to wait on God. You can go ahead and have it now. Here, I'll offer it to you now. The interesting thing is the devil's offerings never have the ability to satisfy. He is not the one whose cup does not run dry. His cup runs dry. Because when you think about the things that the enemy tests you, tempts you with to satisfy the lusts of your flesh, there's something that you have to continually go back to. You, you need more of it. One is not enough. Well, I, it started with one, but then it goes to two. Well, it's just two. It's not that bad. Then it goes to three. And then next thing you know, you're unable to satisfy things unless you have a large quantity of it. And then it goes from one thing to another thing, and it gets worse and worse and worse because all you're trying to do is gratify the lusts of the flesh. And what the, what the enemy offers does not have the ability to satisfy. And so what does he get us hooked in? He gets us hooked in addiction. He gets us hooked in things. He, he gets us to a place we never thought we would be. Some of you here have a testimony of, of, of what God has done and what God has saved you from and what God has rescued from. And when, whenever I hear the testimony, nobody ever set off on their path of, of, of satisfying the lust of the flesh by saying, I want to be a drug addict. Nobody ever set off like that. Nobody ever set off saying, I want to be an alcoholic. Nobody ever started off like that. 
Nobody ever wanted to be hooked on opioids. Nobody wanted to be hooked on pills. But what happens is it's one, and it doesn't satisfy. I need two, and it doesn't satisfy. And so the enemy gives us the, the, the temptation to satisfy the lust of our flesh, and it never starts out in a bad place. It always starts out somewhere what we think is innocent, and it's small, and, and it's going to give us a little satisfaction, but then you need more, and then you need more, and then you need more, and it does not ever satisfy. And instead, it leaves us in ruin and in destruction. Thank God for redemption through Jesus Christ. Amen. How long would that bread really have satisfied Jesus? You going to tempt me with some bread? That ain't going to satisfy great example we have in Jesus is that he knows his father will provide what he needs. Jesus was not out in the wilderness just trying to survive and eat. He was there to draw closer to his father. Food was secondary. Even though he was hungry, food was not what he was really after. That was not the nourishment he was after. Jesus' response in quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, I love it. I love, he's, you know, this sometimes I want to be like Christ in the way that he responds to the enemy. And, you know, sometimes that little smart aleck in you kind of comes out, right? Y'all know that little devil, uh, devil tempting Jesus? And Jesus is like, it's written, Satan, that man shall not live by bread alone. Quoting Deuteronomy. Life is defined by more than just fulfilling the lust of the flesh. True life, life with meaningfulness, life with substance is found in doing the will of God, not gratifying the lust of the flesh. How many of you agree with me? Amen. We do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from God. This is where a real good life comes from not the lusts of the flesh. Amen? How else was Jesus tempted? Jesus was tempted with the lust of the eyes. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. What did he give him? An opportunity to see all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. Lie. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Lie. <laughs> Jesus was tempted with what he was able to see. For some of us in this room, this is a very real temptation we face every day. And it's in the palm of our hand, it's in our pocket, or it's in your purse, whatever it is. Our phones, man, our screen time. We know, man, shoot, sometimes TikTok or the Instagram reels or however you want, man, you'll be down a rabbit hole. And next thing you know, it's two hours, your legs are numb and you can't stand up and walk anymore because you've been so focused on the screen. <laughs> Y'all laugh because it's happened to you. That's what's hilarious. I'm not the only one. Okay. <clears throat> Some of us have a desire to, to have the things that look nice. To have the things we're able to see. And some of us will forfeit our trust in God if we can acquire these things faster and easier. 
Isn't it interesting that Satan offered Jesus what he came for? Humanity. The redemption of humanity is why Jesus was here and Satan tries to offer him humanity. All the kingdoms of the earth. This would have been an easy way out for Jesus. He wouldn't have had to endure the cross. He wouldn't have had to endure betrayal by his disciple. He wouldn't have had to endure the suffering. He wouldn't have to endure all the religious people coming at him all the time. He wouldn't have had to endure any of the persecution. He wouldn't have had to endure any of the ridicule. It would have been easy for him. This would have been the easy way out. Oh, man, does the enemy tempt us with the lust of the eyes. Some of us get so consumed by acquiring, acquiring things that we want to take our trust away from God. The hard thing is realizing that God is not trying to keep us from having good things. Amen? It's scriptural that God wants us to have good things. And he gives us good things. But he wants to make sure that they're really a blessing in our life and not a burden. I would love to own a Porsche 911. I would love it. I would, you would see me driving all around Alvin all day long. Y'all be like, there goes Jonathan. There he goes. The, the, he's doing his loop around 35. He's going to 1462, 288. He's going to come back six. There we go. He's got his little loop going. I'd be driving all day every day, right? And, and there's probably a bank that's dumb enough to give me a loan to buy it. And they'll let me do it. If, if, if my whole, even if it's my whole income, if it's my whole paycheck, all my monthly income would be to cover the payment of that car, they would let me do it. And guess what? I could gratify the desire, the lust of my eyes. Man, I love that Porsche 911. Man, I, man, I could drive that around or a Ferrari or whatever. They would give it to me, but it wouldn't be wise, right? It would really be, I wouldn't be able to feed myself. I definitely wouldn't be able to pay for my house. Wouldn't be able to pay, I probably wouldn't be able to pay for the gas to put in the car. I know that's an exaggerated circumstance, but some of us are willing to give up on the will of God as long as we can gratify the lust of the eyes. Maybe it's the things we see on our phone. Maybe it's the inferiority complex that we've developed by looking at what others have and the things that we don't have. Maybe you're willing to compromise on the will of God and pursuing a godly person if you're single because you just can't stand the thought of being alone and you see somebody that's willing to, to be with you and it's not really a Christian person. They're not, we're not really going to be equally yoked. We'll kind of, I'll have to just kind of see if I can flirt to convert. Um, <laughs> it's not a new ministry. We're starting here at the church, okay? So, uh, hands already ready to, or people already go ready to sign up on that sign-up sheet. Doing the will of God. No, the enemy will present opportunities to satisfy the lust of our eyes, 
but it always comes with a price. It always comes with a price. And what you think is going to be satisfying ends up becoming such a burden and such a heavy weight to carry. It's no longer something that satisfies. That's the allure, and that's what he puts out there. Now, you can have it now, but it always comes with a price. Get you away from the will of God. And then he, the way he says you can have it, Jesus, is by worshiping me. Ooh, that's, that's not just singing a song to the devil. In Romans 12, we understand that, that the way we live and the life that we live is, is our act of worship to God, right? It's, it's not just singing songs. That's, we call singing songs worship because it is worship. It's adoration, yes. Um, but, but worship is, is the life that we live, right? Being surrendered to God is, is our sincerest form of worship. What does it matter what our mouth says if our life is living something totally different? He says, I, I need you to be sincere in your worship by the life that you live. And that's what we learn in Romans chapter 12. That's worship, being surrendered to something. So when Satan's tempting Jesus, he's asking him to surrender to him instead of to his father. Worship me instead of God. The enemy will always do his best to have us conform to his way, to do things outside the will of God. He'll convince you that it doesn't matter how you acquire things. As long as the end result is the same, then it's all good. And Jesus responds to this temptation with, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. We must resolve to serve the Lord and not be led by the lust of our eyes. Amen? Then the third way he was tempted was with the pride of life. It says, The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. said, If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. This is the second time the devil uses the phrase, if you are the son of God. Trying to provoke Jesus, right? He's trying to provoke him. It's very provoking. Uh, guys, we know what provoking is, right? I, I know this is our experience a lot of times. Some of us will hear somebody make a claim that they're able to do something, and our first response, especially if we don't really believe it, is prove it. There's no way you could do that, right? We had an instance uh, among a group of guys that I, that I talked to where somebody said they could throw a football a certain distance, and we were like, that is far. I don't think you understand how far that is. And, and this person's like, no, I can, I can, because I saw you know, at the Texans training camp, this old man throw a ball that far. Okay, the old man on a on a foot, professional football organization is probably like an ex-quarterback or something. Like this dude has probably committed his whole life to being able to throw that football that far with that kind of ease. And he was convinced he could throw it that far. And we're like, prove it. 
And we got measuring tapes out. We got out to the street. We were like, all right, here's an actual NFL-sized football. Let's get out there. Let's see. And, of course, it was difficult to do, right? That's the kind of mentality guys have a lot of times. Prove it. You, you say, man, no way you could do that. Prove it. Prove it. Satan provoking Jesus. Prove that you're the Son of God. Come on, if you really are the Son of God, prove it. Let me see what you got, Jesus. Go from the temple throw yourself off and let the angels come down and get you if you really are the son of God and if you really are going to have that kind of authority prove it provoking Jesus could have easily been that proud person I got this right I can do this I can command the angels to come down and save me yeah I can show you Satan right Jesus knew the end game, though. Jesus knew his goal was not to prove to Satan that he was the son of God by letting the angels come down and catch him off of an evil Knievel type of event. No, Jesus was going to prove to Satan that he was the son of God by enduring the cross and defeating death and darkness forever. Amen? Satan attempts to get Jesus outside the will of his father by using the same thought process he had in his fall. Satan thought he was equal or greater than God, and that was his fall. And, and how did he tempt Adam and Eve in the garden? By saying they'd be as smart and, and, and as knowledgeable as God. They'd be equal intelligence with God. Pride, right? It's worked. It's worked for him in the past. Let me do it again. This is a strategy that he uses all the time. Self-exaltation. Having us develop this arrogance, a self-centeredness, this inflated sense of our own purpose outside the will of God. He gets us to try to have this pride of life that manifests itself in behaviors like boasting, like looking down on others by refusing to acknowledge one's faults and seeking and seeking to elevate yourself at the expense of others. The pride of life is absolutely a temptation the enemy uses to pull us away from the will of God. And some people get so consumed by, by this there's no more quality in relationships. There's, there's no good quality with the people that are around them. They've destroyed all the relationships just to have that, that ability to say, I'm better than you. To have self-exaltation. What is that worth? Just leaves us alone. Leaves us lonely. Culture tries to get us to fall into this all the time. These are a lot of the messages that we hear a lot. Gratify your own desires. You be you. Do what makes you happy. Who cares how it affects anybody else? Just do whatever is best for you. Oh, man, that's a lie from the enemy. When God established mankind, the first thing he saw that it wasn't good that Adam and him were the only ones there. It wasn't good that man be alone. Gave him a wife. He established community. He established the family. And if there's anything that the enemy wants to tempt us with, it's with the idea that we don't need that. Be better than other people. 
self-exaltation. Seek out your own interest. Who cares how it affects other people? My goodness, that leaves so many families and so many people in a very difficult position. The temptation of the pride of life. The Bible teaches us that humility is the antidote to pride. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Humility involves recognizing our limitations and acknowledging our dependence on God. Jesus responded to Satan with, It is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. This is a great example of humility and a posture of being completely submitted to the will of God. If you'll stand with me here this morning. If you have not already, there's going to be a time when you are confronted with a battle of temptation. And the wonderful thing that we learn is that Jesus can empathize with us in our temptation. He's still relevant today. He knows what it's like to be tempted in every way. But Jesus demonstrated the resilience against temptation. He exemplified a life fully surrendered to the will of God. You know, through these temptations that he faced, we're able to see the schemes of the enemy seeking to lure us away from God's perfect plan for our lives. He does it through the lust of the flesh. He does it through the lust of the eyes. And he does it through the pride of life. But just as Jesus remained steadfast, relying on the word of God and resisting the allure of immediate gratification, we also are called to trust in God's provision. Amen? To resist the fleeting pleasures of this world and to walk in humility, acknowledging our dependence on God. So let us take heart to the lessons that Jesus has demonstrated here in his triumph over temptation. Let us find strength in his example. As we go through the trials and the temptations of our own lives, let us always lean on God's guidance and grace. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father.